You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. If you're just joining us, what our church has been going through for a little while now is a sermon series titled Freedom, and what we're doing is simply reading through uh, the book of Galatians, the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in that uh, region. Uh, Paul has picked up on uh, a series of large problems that the church has faced. and But what it all boils down to is the fact that um, Christians have been set free in Christ, and yet oftentimes we struggle to live in the freedom that Christ has given us. And so um, this is our topic and what we're discussing and considering as we go through. Uh, If you do have a Bible, we'll be in chapter 2 of the book of Galatians, um, picking up partway through the chapter. As we read today, I think we'll be intrigued to hear about the exchange, or maybe you've read ahead, and it's an interesting conversation that Paul has with a colleague, another apostle by the name of Peter, or in some translations, his name is Cephas. It's the same person. Um, so, like I said, if you have a Bible, turn to Galatians 2, or you can read uh, with me on the PowerPoint as well. Uh, Galatians 2, starting at verse 11, going to 18. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before a certain man came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back, and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew... Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And then speaking to Peter again, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we've believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law will justify no one. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So there's a lot going on here today, but Paul is clearly... Um, going at it with with Peter, he's he's after him. Um, it's an argument, it's a confrontation. And but before we take sides and you know start discussing perhaps what's being said and and all of this, it's good to be reminded or or perhaps learn a little bit about uh, who this Peter character is. Some backstory on Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' closest disciples during Jesus' time. In his ministry on earth, Jesus appointed Peter as an apostle to spread his good news to the world. Jesus, in fact, tells Peter outright that he will build his church using him. The church will be built upon Peter, the rock. 
This is in Matthew 16. Peter seems to have an interesting personality. He's passionate. Sometimes this is used for good, but at other times his passion misguides him into wrong, things that are not so good. Um, he, he gets misdirected easily. The most famous example is, is when Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, yes, of course. Like, of course, why do you keep asking me this? You know I love you. I'd never forsake you. And then so soon after was Jesus' darkest hour and the time when, as Jesus knew he would, um, Peter denies knowing anything about this Jesus, not once but three times. And yet the miracle is that uh, God is faithful to use Peter to do what Jesus spoke into his life, to build the church, we can, as we leave the Gospels and we move into Acts and the, Jesus has resurrected and ascended to heaven and the church is starting to gain momentum, um, Peter plays a key role in what happens. And if we read uh, in various places, but in Acts 15 specifically, we read Peter teaching about the things that in Galatians he apparently is still struggling with acts 15 9 to 11 this is peter speaking and i've changed the words to make it a little bit clearer what he's saying but listen to what he says what he announces god made no distinction between us the jews and them the gentiles cleansing their heart by faith Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' neck that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? So what he's talking about is the law of Moses and the burden that that was for the Jewish people. And why should Christians be imposing this law on those who were never a part of it now that they're Christians? It's it's just not fair to expect non-Jews to uh, switch to this type of religious practice just because they want to follow Jesus, is what he's saying. He says, no, on the contrary, we believed that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that we are. So this is freedom, right? Peter has preached this message and acts and elsewhere, and he's supposed to be practicing as as a church leader that both Jews and non-Jews are included in the church because they're saved by grace through faith. And yet, as I said, we've read this morning in Galatians that this issue is not exactly solved. Uh, That this this idea that uh, Peter has, he knows the truth about, but clearly he's still struggling with how to live it out. And and he's given in to certain pressure to, to go back on it. And it's good to remember as well that this issue uh, is as much religious as it is a social issue and a racial issue, right? It's, it's all tied up in people's identity and who they see themselves as and where they think they belong and who's in and who's out and all this stuff. It's huge. So anyways, Peter, uh, Paul, sorry, apparently catches wind that Peter, the man who has proclaimed this truth in the past, has caved into the pressure from certain men I like how this translation says certain men, like 
Like we all know who we're talking about, but he doesn't name them. Um, the pressure to segregate the church based on Jewish tradition and those who are not a part of it. To separate people. And so Paul finds grounds to not only confront Peter, which he says at the beginning, I opposed him to his face, but to also inform the church, right? To, to make it public that Peter's behavior is wrong. And if this seems harsh, we need to remember the gravity of the situation because Paul throws Peter under the bus here. So why does he do this? Is he bullying him? Is he out of line? Is Paul perhaps too fired up about the problem? He's not. I don't think he is because as we, were, as we read in verse 14, Peter says, uh, Paul says that Peter's behavior is not in step with the truth of the gospel. So his hypocrisy and what he's doing wrong is not just, you know, a mistake of, of this kind or that kind or maybe a personal problem or what have you. But it's a thing that's actually preventing the core of what's supposed to be happening, the gospel from being proclaimed and spread and lived out. What Peter's doing here is not in step with the truth of the gospel, and so it has to be addressed. So what caused Peter to stumble in this way? Um, You know, like we said, he knows the truth. He's taught the truth, especially about this. He's supposed to be living it, but he's not. So what caused this to happen? In verse 12, we have the answer. What causes Peter to fall from the truth is his fear. His fear. For before certain men came back from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back, he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And here we go again with the circumcision stuff. Um, if you're just joining us this week, this, is, this sounds confusing or strange. Um, but for those of us who've been reading in Galatians, we already know that Paul talks about this a lot. And that's because circumcision is the symbolic expression of being in line with the law of Moses, right? With Jewish practice. And so circumcision party, as strange as that word choice sounds, it's not, uh, yeah, I'd be afraid of that party as well. Um, it's not a party like a Super Bowl party. It's, it's a party like a political party, right? For real. So some translations say group, you know, the circumcision group or whatever, but party is actually a great word because if they are a party like a political party, they have an agenda, right? They're, they're applying pressure and trying to change uh, Peter's theology and practice and people in the church back to this incorrect uh, so-called truth that in order to be saved, you have to uh, practice Jewish tradition, right? Yes, Jesus saves, but you're only actually saved if you're also following the law of Moses. Paul doesn't believe this, and neither does Peter technically. And so when, when Peter's stepping out of line in this way, Paul calls him on it. 
So back to the the cause of it. Uh, Paul says that that Peter's afraid. I believe it's true, right? Paul's correct that Peter is is obviously afraid of those who disagree with his choice to get over these boundaries, religious, social, cultural, whatever you want to call it, and eat with people from other circles. Now, we get this, that, that to sit and eat with someone is a symbol of unity, right? And equality and all that. If, if, we, if we dine with someone, if we sit at a table and, have a, and we share a meal, uh, we're connected with them. But for a Jewish man like Peter, it's not just a fun way to get to know his, his neighbors, right? To eat with, with Gentile people. This actually has huge implications. In fact, it's breaking the law. It's breaking the law, the, the law of Moses for him to uh, eat with these people in a way that's considered sinful or unclean. Now, if what Peter has proclaimed in the past is true, that, that uh, Gentiles and Jews are saved in the same way by faith in Jesus, then it doesn't matter, right? He can, he can eat with anyone and enjoy the fellowship of the church, people from all backgrounds. But if he listens to those who are trying to influence him, probably important people, uh, passionate uh, leaders in the Jewish circles, if he listens to those people, um, they're telling him that this is, is not allowed. They're reminding him of what he used to practice and saying, no, 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 you can't, you know, you're, you're breaking the law if you're eating with Gentiles. It's unclean. They're sinners. Don't do that. So the fact is that freedom in Christ is going to cost Peter something. Unity with believers will cost him something. In this case, it would cost him the approval of those influential Jewish people who were opposed to the idea that kosher laws is no longer hard and fast for Christians, but that there's a greater law in place through what Jesus accomplished. And Peter's faced with a tough choice. Um, basically, who, who does he choose to, to please in this situation? So the, the question that I want us to be asking ourselves today is, in what ways might we be acting like Peter as he was in this particular part of Galatians. As Christians, where have we let fear motivate us to behave in ways that aren't just wrong or questionable, but that actually prevent the gospel from shining in our lives? Where are the pressures that we're tempted to give into, whether they be cultural, familial, social, or religious, which would lead us to believe that we are special or separate from everyone else in some arbitrary way that's not from God. These are hard questions, but I want to ask them because I believe that the 
the tension in the Galatian churches is very different than in our context, yes, but it's not resolved. The problem still exists. As I said at the start, Christians, if we've uh, read the Bible, we've heard the good news and we've believed it in our minds, we know the truth that we're free in Christ together. And yet we struggle to be unified and, and get along and see one another as brothers and sisters, don't we? We would rather build walls, make rules and excuses, and, and push people away at a safe distance. We would rather see ourselves as superior or inferior based on worldly standards than see one another through the eyes that we've been given through Christ, which means we are all equal and loved by God. Again, these are basic concepts, but in practice they're more difficult than they sound, as we see in the example of of Peter. Um, We are like Peter because we're all prone to fear, aren't we? We're prone to be afraid of of other people. Um, this, this takes place as we seek the approval of other people instead of the approval of God. If, if we're seeking to please man, this means, as Paul said at the start of this book, that we're not seeking to please God. We're motivated by fear of man rather than fear of God. Each and every one of us struggles with this. Uh, Proverbs 29:25 says this, Clearly, the the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. It's interesting that this proverb shows how fear traps us. Right? In other words, fear prevents us from walking in the freedom that we've been given. If we're afraid, we're trapped. We're not free. On the other hand, the proverb says, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So I believe that uh, this confrontation from today's passage can and should influence us in our own context as we ask ourselves how it applies to us and how we can be shaped by this situation. Are there areas where we allow the purity of the gospel to be undermined? And if not in our own context, I don't, I don't have to suggest examples, I don't think, uh, from the world at large, because that's an easy one. All we have to do is turn on the TV, scroll through Facebook or whatever, to see examples of people who identify with Christ, who call themselves Christians, and yet their behaviors are not that way at all, right? So we need to be aware of this in our own hearts and lives. How are we tempted to undermine the gospel by the way that we behave, by the way that we treat one another, or even by the way that we do this thing that we call church? Are we... Are we falling short and creating division where we should be united together.
Jesus was asked about this type of thing over and over. The Pharisees were constantly asking him uh, tough questions, especially about the law and how people could be saved and stuff. They, were, they tried to get him to, to stumble in what he was teaching so that they would have a reason to accuse him. Um, one such exchange happens in Matthew chapter 15, where the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. When we hear that, we think, Ew, gross, there's germs. But that's not the issue, right? This, he's talking about the law. This was a big deal. And Jesus, with the best answer of all time, says, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And jumping down to verse 7, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. I believe that Peter was there at this time, hearing Jesus say these words as well. Let us never think that our traditions are what set us free from sin. Let us never think that it's our traditions that have set us free from sin and saved us. Paul clearly explained to us in our passage this morning when he's talking about justification that this is not true. It's only faith in Jesus that justifies us before God. Since we're talking about uh, eating together and sharing meals, it's a, it's appropriate that Jesus commanded his disciples to do this in remembrance of him, to share a meal, to eat and drink together. Now I know that, or I believe that Paul was not uh, rebuking Peter specifically over the act of communion, But Peter's refusal to eat with Gentiles was symbolic of the human division that's caused when we don't see each other with the mind of Christ. And in contrast to that, it's cool that we have the meal of communion as a symbol of union for all who believe in Jesus to eat together. Um, With this in mind, I would like us to take communion in unison, together, as an act of solidarity with one another, as a way of acknowledging that we are brothers and sisters joined together, not by any human standard, but joined by the grace of God and justified together in the same way, which is through Jesus' death and resurrection. We are diverse. 
We're not the same by various standards, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are all justified. And thus we can stand together, we can eat together, and we can proclaim the name of Jesus together as one.